Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. Hello everyone, it's Abby Stansfield, a public programmer here at the museum and your Museum Chat Live co-host. And I'm Sarah Nixon, also a public programmer here at the museum and co-host of this episode of Museum Chat Live, discussing social media, museums, and history. On today's episode, Abby and I look at the ways social media platforms like Facebook are changing the way we access, understand, and learn about history. We consider the relationship between social media, history telling, and museums. And to help us understand the role social media has played in shaping how we consume history, we speak to Chris Barony, founder and administrator of the Vintage St. Catharines Facebook group. We'll chat with Chris about the intricacies of running a community-driven, history-focused Facebook group. So, let's get to it. This episode is all about how social media has changed the way that people consume historical content, as well as how they interact within a community online to share historical information. The growth of social media platforms such as Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok over the past 10 years has created a new space for the development of communities interested for the development of communities of interested individuals to share their stories in a communal space without the constraints of geography, economics, and accessibility. Social media has provided an outlet for people who may have never connected in the past to do so now and engage in a two-way dialogue about topics and interests. While websites may have made the internet an explosion of accessible information, it was just static with no dialogue. Social media has changed that. While museums and cultural sites have embraced the use of social media to engage with their audiences in a more interactive ways, it has also provided a venue for individuals to create spaces where historical content can be shared and debated. These sites are very often specific in their goals and the stories they aim to tell. They can get to the micro detail if they want, detail that you might not find anywhere else. Additionally, social media communities provide the private individual an opportunity to share their own personal story relatively easily in a way that can be curated by the individual. They can also share their personal collections without having to donate them to a museum to be seen and preserved. Social media, then, can empower ordinary people with the platform to tell their own story to others and to leave their own mark. This can come in many forms. Joining an interest group on Facebook or a subreddit on Reddit where users can share photos, videos, and experiences, as well as comment and join conversations on what others share in their community. A personal Instagram, Facebook, or even Pinterest board can be curated to showcase a person's interests, values, and the story they want to tell about themselves. On social media, we are all active creators and curators of our own stories. With social media, the information is also global and instantly accessible. How we see and interpret history on the internet is a fluid movement and is constantly changing as new sources are uncovered and made available. As users upload old photographs to social media sites, write their lived memory of a specific historical event or place in a comment or tweet, or share parts of their genealogy online, our collective understanding of the past broadens and evolves. Alongside the work that museums and other history institutions are doing to digitize historical collections, share them on social media, and open opportunities for the online public to comment, share, and engage with the material, social media users themselves are also adding to the ever-growing collection of historical information on the internet. Do history-devoted social media sites like Facebook groups or YouTube channels that represent a movement away from expert-driven history, for example, museums or historic sites, towards a community-driven history as told by individuals online? Or does social media open opportunities for museums and online audiences to work alongside each other and in tandem? A look at the resource section of the St. Catharines Historical Society's webpage lists six different Facebook group pages devoted to Niagara history and St. Catharines history alone. 
The placement on the Historical Society's website demonstrates their trust in the information that is provided by these groups. Since anyone can open a social media account and start posting information, we wondered what checks and balances are in place to ensure accuracy in the history being told. Also, something that is always at the top of our minds here at the museum, who is archiving this information for the future so that these stories are not lost? To investigate these questions at a St. Catharines level, we spoke with Chris Barney, an admin of the Vintage St. Catharines Facebook group. Welcome to Museum Chat Live. Welcome, Chris. Let's start with a little bit about our guest. Uh, Chris, can you tell us about your work with Vintage St. Catharines? Sure. Uh, well, I founded it uh, a few, quite a few years ago now. Um, it might actually be approaching 10 years or so, but if not, it's, I don't know, maybe seven, seven to 10 years ago. Uh, born and raised in, in St. Catharines, but I've been living in Toronto for since the mid nineties, pretty much. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a Torontonian, but a St. Catharines, you know, you can't take the St. Catharines Niagara out of me. And I still do uh, come, come into uh, the region fairly often as I still have family there and whatnot. So, yeah, so I founded the group um, a few years back and uh, the, um, I don't know how much, how uh, in depth you want me to go with this, but um, I just, I took my inspiration from another group uh, that was basically the same thing, but it was Toronto-based um, that I took an interest in and thought, you know, I've always wanted to have something like this for St. Catharines. Um, and it's funny because um, my late friend and I used to talk about this before like social media even was a thing. Um, so it was around the mid nineties and we would often throw around the idea of having a, um, a sort of a people's um, newspaper for St. Catharines, but ours was, it had some comic relief to it because we were going to profile just people that normally wouldn't um, just receive any kind of, it just wouldn't typ typically associate with being like important or anything. We were just going to interview just random people from the region and just really get a feel for what makes up, you know, St. Catharines, Niagara. And I think that somehow like uh, social media and like so-called so web 2.0, when it became this kind of thing with the dawn of Facebook and whatnot, it just seemed to, you know, lend itself so well to, to that kind of thing. Then there's, we, we were going to do a printed version, uh, which is, you know, slow, cumbersome, cost, costly. The Facebook is just a, a perfect example of how to, to transition that idea into, into uh, you know, a group for everyone kind of thing, for everyone to participate in. And my original idea was um, to keep the, the, the um, the uh, description of the group uh, just arbitrary enough and just sort of non-specific enough to invite submissions. So, because a, a lot of times we get um, requests by people asking, well, what is vintage? Like, is it is it a specific amount of time has to have passed to, to, to sort of, um, to, um, delineated as, as being vintage. And, and I've always kept it sort of arbitrary. Um, vintage is kind of what you want it to be. If it's like in the past, I mean, I don't know. We try to keep a sort of lid on like something that happened, you know, fairly recently. Uh, but yeah, my original idea though was to, um, like I thought of like um, uh, unpublished, information and photos and like there's all kinds of resources not unlike the St. Catharines Museum where we can look up official archives but my idea for this was to have unofficial archives so we, like I was really hoping to get a lot of personal photos where 
we might be able to see um, the context of the, uh, you know, the, the one St. Paul Bridge or St. Paul Street itself, or just any landmarks that have been around St. Catharines for a while, as they appear to just sort of average people um, in the past. And that's what I was hoping to do was to sort of patch together history through like a, uh, a quilt of random objects. Now, I don't know if it, if the group has always, you know, taken on that, um, that vision, but that's definitely what, what I was thinking on. So it's kind of like a, a photo, like an unofficial photo album. And, you know, I guess, uh, stories and photos from just, uh, people that really, um, just ordinary people. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love what you said about the goal of this Facebook page really being a community-based, like grassroots led. So yeah. it's led by the people created the content, the whole story, the narrative is by the community. I think that's really awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. It's um occasionally it's hard, it's hard to police. Like it's uh it's a I mean, I don't want to say it's a full-time job because it's not, but it's, it feels like sometimes like it could be. Like I have to monitor this thing every day or I come back to, it's like going on vacation when you, when you come back from vacation, it's like you feel rested and everything, but work has piled up. So uh, to, to retain my own sanity, I try to monitor this thing every day. And just ironically, it has led to me not being able to enjoy the group as I, might have once thought because it it I have to look at it just I have to scan everything quickly and maybe not be so involved as I might like to be because I'm just looking for arguments or non-relevant material or things that break group rules and you know there's I mean we almost have 20,000 members now so there's a lot going on there absolutely and we did look it up. You are turning 10 this year in July. Oh, great. There you go. So after 10 years and nearly 20,000 members, what exactly did you do to cultivate this community? And why do you think it's still thriving a decade later? Well, I really think that uh, we were blessed be, by being at the right time in the right place. Because as I say, when I started this, uh, I, I, I really like the vintage Toronto. And nothing else like this really seemed to exist. And now when I look around, I mean, there's, there's a Facebook group for just Facer Street in St. Catharines, okay? There's, uh, I mean, there's a Facebook group for Etobicoke and the Lakeshore in Toronto, uh, Long Branch, for example. There's a Vintage Port Luzi. There's St. Catharines in the 60s and 70s. I mean, there's so many offshoots of this sort of idea that I think we had some luck on our side that I started it when I did, because I think we were first. And the way that social media tends to work is it grows exponentially with, um, if there's, especially if there's not a lot of competition. So you get a bunch of, if you get a trickle of people joining, then their friends join on and so on and so forth. So it sort of grows, it can grow quickly like our group has. And, you know, a lot of times I've, uh, people don't necessarily, um, they either get banned or they, for one reason or another, choose to leave the group. And I, I absolutely encourage people to start their own groups because sometimes people want to treat it as a community event sport. And that's not really what we are. We're more about historical information and we're not a, a current events board. So, you know, I'm hoping that some of those groups were formed based on the fact that they didn't find a niche in our group. So, I mean, there's room for everyone, but I definitely think we had uh, the luck of time on our side, so. Oh man, that, I, I think that you bring up an interesting point with time, maybe 10 years ago, um, you know, there might not have been 
as big of a community or as many groups and maybe you started it maybe vintage St. Catharines was one of the first and then that's how Port Luzi got inspired to make one and so it's interesting to see how uh, the communities kind of grow and evolve mm -hmm. and offshoot uh, I'm really really fascinated by that and what you said about how there's a spot for everyone I think that's what makes places like Facebook or YouTube so uh, so interesting is anyone really can find a community in these places and you you started the community uh, and just going back I am also interested in what you said about when you started the group you um you kind of hope to be more involved and more engaged mm -hmm. in the content creation and sharing whereas now you've created you've kind of had to have this ad administer this admin role mm -hmm. instead right uh, so it's interesting how there's a spot for everyone but then also um some people are kind of place into certain roles that they, they kind of have to play within these groups. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the things that I really don't want the site or the sort or the group to uh, sort of uh, deviate into is a sort of um, gossip column or he said, she said, people naming names, old grievances that come to light. This kind of thing is, is really common in our group. And it's one of the things that's one of the common things that I have to uh, work through with a, a fine, a fine tooth comb. Uh, because, I, you know, I mean, there's, there's issues of slander. It just, I, I really didn't want it to ever go there, but it's inevitable that it will, because I think our group has a uh, loosely based description that on one hand was deliberate, but on the other hand, you know, just sort of allows like uh, it, it going into directions that I didn't really want it to go into. So we do have a, a we do have group rules, but um, we like to try to stay away from, like, I, I never wanted to be someone that was um, so cut and dry because I want to encourage just people talking about things that they might remember that young people might not know anything about. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a people's history, but there's a danger in allowing just anyone to throw information out there because then you get misinformation or you get information that's, you know, political in nature or whatnot. So that's, I'd say, besides spam, I'd say the number one issue that we have is people especially at certain times of the day, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's always after 9 PM when people are kind of maybe feeling a bit looser than others. And, you know, the work day is done and they're feeling a bit loose lipped. And I feel that those times are definitely red, red flag times where we have to stay on top of the, uh, start to keep, keep everything on some, some kind of track, you know, a loosely based track. Uh, that, that was something that we were wondering about, you know, as admin, like how do you manage to keep these public posts on topic? Because like, like you say, I imagine because it's a public forum um, and like you say, some people might be kind of emboldened by having mm -hmm. a virtual platform to share. Um, so we were wondering if you've had difficulty with members sharing material that might even just be like outside of the group of a vintage St. Catharines. Absolutely. Theme. And how do you, how do you then bring it back to the purpose of the group? What are your tactics? Uh, well, I mean, if it's outright spam, it's much easier these days because Facebook has updated. I'm sure, you know, Facebook has updated their sort of admin assist uh, like software. So uh, in the old days, we used to have to really just do everything by hand. And now some of those assists, um, those, those uh, algorithms that are running will take care of that for me. So, uh, but in the process, sometimes people will get banned where they're not actually banned by a real admin, they're banned by whatever software Facebook has running. So uh, what, to answer your question, um, the number one way to uh, get something dealt with is to uh, invite invite uh, the members to report to admins. So I'm getting messages all the time with people reporting um, 
in the posts where they feel that it's not relevant or it's uh, mean spirited or slanderous or whatnot. So, you know, between Facebook's tools, mod the Facebook's modern tools, because again, this really has only been around for not even a year yet. Between that and just people reporting to me, that's how I deal with it. Uh, one thing for sure is uh, we keep files on on everyone. So if there's repeat offenders, uh, I mean, they, they just get banned um, because there's no, there's no reason. Like every now and then if someone kind of steps outside the lines, my thing is I know how many people enjoy this group and some of them are retirees. And I don't know people's personal lives and what they do, but I get the feeling that some, that this group means a lot to people and it allows them to connect with people that they may not have been with or you know or seen in, in quite some time and it allows them to uh just remember things that they didn't necessarily think that they were going to remember so it sort of has this effect where if one person brings up something another person it kind of also has this exponential effect of spreading information and um things things will come at you where you just really, I mean, when was the last time I thought about, my thing is I have a few, I have a, a laundry list of, of, of memories from growing up that I don't see anything on anymore. And I'm just hoping one day someone posts a great, a great photo of like Bob Patrick cycling sports that used to be on St. Paul street, because I used to hang out there as a kid and like, but in the process, as you know, every now and then I might invite someone, hey, anybody got any photos from St. Paul Street circa 1979? You know, uh, someone else will post a photo of another store where, you know, you might see something in the corner. Oh, I forgot about that place. And that's how it happens. It's, you're not always searching for something, uh, but you know when you found it that it's, you know, it's just, it's contributed to your the history of our of our city and our region, so it's it's uh, I don't know if I'm, I hope I'm being lucid and clear here, but uh, but yeah, that's how we just that's how we stay on. We stay on by members doing their part to report to admins, Facebook assists, and just plain old elbow grease, you know, just scanning everything every day. So members report report to the admin. There's there's an easy to click button there if you have any issues. Absolutely. So when we were reviewing the posts uh, to prepare on the group page, there appears to be quite a few requests for any information for specific St. Catharines history, archival information. We were just wondering over the years, have there been go-to members who have gained the respect of the group for their knowledge of St. Catharines and are constantly providing answers to these types of member requests? Absolutely there have, yeah. There's some real shining stars that we have in our, in our group uh, that, I mean, I just knew there were other people out there like me. Um, and it's funny these days too, it, it, it happens in any city. It's not unique to one area. You'll, you'll go, it, seems that we tend to demo things and especially in Ontario. So you'll, you'll go to a town maybe that you haven't been to in a while and not even really recognize where you were because things have been leveled. So I knew there were people like myself who, who just thought, okay, well, you cannot stop progress and you can't stop the way things develop in society, but you can, you know, you can sit around and, and sort of talk about these things and, and share photos and stories. So yeah, we've, we definitely have some members that, that uh, I can tell, you know, think about these things as much as I do. Yeah, I think it, it must be really neat for you to see, again, you've created this online community where maybe many of you have met or no one has met, and yet mm -hmm. you start to be familiar with some of the names that pop up that share images, or if someone does have a question, you're probably familiar with, oh, I bet so-and-so is going to answer this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of cool to see this community form where, again, uh, certain people have roles and, and start to form those connections amongst each other. Sure. Uh, yeah. 
That's really yeah. interesting to hear. I, I agree. I was really interested in what you had to say uh, about the, the images that are being shared. It's it's mostly, would you say it's mostly photo-based, The uh, what's being shared? I mean, I, I, I'd always hope so. Like I, like I was saying earlier, um, I'd always hope that people would share personal photos and not necessarily uh, uh, personal to the point where, you know, it's nobody else's business, but I mean, just a, a, a photo of, um, you know, a parking lot somewhere, something seemingly mundane that just triggers uh, things that you might have forgotten about uh, just because the physical space has changed. It's funny when a new building goes up in like, I mean, it happens a lot in Toronto and I happen to live right downtown. So, you know, I mean, standing at, at, uh, at, at, uh, at Young and Bloor these days, I mean, I don't know where I am because the landmarks that I've always associated with it with, they're not there anymore. It's something else that is in its place. And I find the strange phenomenon of I play games with myself trying to figure out, okay, what was actually here one year ago before this other building? And, and a lot of times I can't remember. And it's like, it's not because it's so far removed from the, from the, what was there before in, in terms of time that has passed. It's just strange the way that works. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where, where something that has replaced uh, a, a newly constructed building or structure or whatever it is, even a road getting diverted somewhere, it tends to, you, you just develop this amnesia toward, well, what was actually here before? Um, so yeah, I find that that's where I was trying to initially get people to post even, post even just mundane photos so that we can sort of trigger our memories and trigger things that again like i was saying earlier too like things that we didn't know what we were that that we were looking for um that somehow you know were sparked by um just a mundane piece of just an ordinary piece of information it is it's amazing the power of a photograph to bring back memories yeah. and and like you say it's so easy for uh, places, spaces, tangible qualities of the place we grew up to be erased, and then it's erased from from our memory. That's until the thing. Yeah, and then the yeah. image brings it back. The photograph brings it back, and even possibly people's comments, for, like remembering certain sure. experiences, bring it back too. I mean, somebody the other day was talking about. I mean, I'd forgotten about this one. This one really, really got me. The uh, car bingo in the parking lot of the Fairview Mall, okay? Like, this really was a thing. I remember it was like Friday nights and like the uh, parking lot where, um, I think where the chapters is now, somewhere on the, I guess it would be south end of Fairview Mall. Um, it, it was a lot more open back then because you didn't, you had the mall and I, I think you had a grocery store across it's sort of in the middle of the parking lot, but there was a lot more space back then. You green space behind the Fairview Mall too. We used to ride our bikes back there a lot. Um, you know, like that bingo thing really got to me because I, I had completely forgotten about that. And then it just, of course, like it opens up all these other questions. Like, well, what do you mean car bingo? Like, well, I mean, it just, it just makes you think about technologies that are no longer with us. And what, what did people do on a Friday night before there was the internet, before there was sort of on-demand everything? Hey, people drove around in their cars and just hung out, like, and didn't think anything strange about it. Like, this is part of understanding this sort of the, the personality of a certain era. I always like to think, what did people do in their spare time? Um, what did they do when they weren't working? Mm -hmm. And I think that reveals a lot to us. You know, they were, they were content to almost do what we today might think of as boring or just not doing anything. They were, you know, like I asked my, my mother this question recently, what did people do in, in, in the late 
fifties and the early sixties, what they do on the weekends, you know? Uh, and she, she said, you know what? A lot of times people would just go over to other people's houses. And like, I think the pandemic has kind of reintroduced that kind of thing in our society again, but I don't know, it struck me as kind of like interesting because nowadays you might say, well, what do you do on a, well, you watch Netflix, do you, I guess there's all kinds of places to go, but back in the day before there were any of these things, we used to actually just talk to each other. So I think just one memory triggering another and so on and so forth. This is the part of, of history that it just fascinates me. I always like to try to understand how did a certain generation feel? And sometimes through ordinary things, we get the biggest clues, you know. I cannot agree with you more. I'm just fascinated just as much as you are in those questions, just the mundanity of everyday life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the power of something like Vintage St. Catharines, because we have a, a forum where everyday people living their everyday lives now have an opportunity to share yeah. And to write down their memories. I think that's the power of something like Facebook is there's a photograph and, but it's not a photograph in an exhibit where you just mm -hmm. walk by it. Now you have an opportunity to write down and to connect and share. And like you say, one memory will spur more comments and more story sharing. I really think you're, you've nailed the, the power of something like a Facebook group like Wind of St. Catharines is the, the act of memory, like rem remembering and reminiscing, but the writing down and yeah. the disseminating of the information. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, that's what social media is kind of about. It's about contributions and it's about interacting, not just, uh, a, it's not a passive event. There's, a, there's an activeness to it, so. Absolutely. We have seen over the past few years, the growing challenge in discerning the truth in the information that we receive online. And sometimes it is the loudest voice that manages to get their messages out there, which may or may not be the most accurate. Uh, historians, we are experienced with the importance of sourcing or sharing where our information comes from in order to help our audience make a decision on trusting the information or not. So to do so, of course, it takes time, it takes resources, it takes research. Has the reliability of information sources ever played into the group's conversation that yeah. you've seen? Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where it usually starts going into the sort of gossip zone, where first of all, that's not what the group is. It's not, it's not about trying to rehash a grievance that you had from high school in the 60s you know uh but yeah it it i i find um as long as people are being civil it's fascinating to watch the um information sort of um work itself out by members sort of contributing and um just sort of whittling down information somebody will talk about like someone might talk about the you know, bingo, car bingo in the parking lot of the Fairview Mall. And, and others will chime in and say, you know, something like, yeah, that's when there was more space in that parking lot to do stuff like that. And others will say, yeah, they used to have, um, you know, the Lions Carnival coming through there every, every fall too. And I definitely remember those. And you don't even see too many of those things anymore. Like, you know, we, that used to be really common at the Fairview Mall. And also, um, I remember down at uh, there near uh, Lock One in the, uh, in the school across from that. And just to be all kinds of things that you don't see of anymore. Um, so, yeah, basically what it comes down to is uh, I really like to, um, to watch as members sort of contribute to the, like facts and between fact and, and, and fiction, you know, and, it, and it, I'd say for the most part, people tend to, uh, it's kind of like the, like web, you might say web 3.0, where it's, it's like a, a concept that Reddit has exploited, where the, um, you know, the sort of uh, correct answers rise to the top through a cascade of like 
upvotes and downvotes. And eventually, even somebody with ill intentions, their, their voice is going to get downvoted in the, uh, in the name of the, the greater truth of, of all the members that are working towards the goal. So it's, in that sense, it can be self-policing. And that's, I think, uh, an important thing to um, identify in this, uh, in this way of sharing information that there is an element of, uh, of self-policing. And I think that's when, when, things, when things cross those lines and it has to step in. But a lot of times, um, you know, the members will work it out on their own, so. Interesting. It's almost like they're peer reviewing each other yeah, based on absolutely. their experiences. Yeah. Hmm. That's awesome to hear. I was afraid that you at the top would have to take that on, that burden on. I, I like to think, I like to think that if you see me, it's too late. You're going to get banned. <laughs> gotcha. It's good to know that there's help within the community because they want to see it thrive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people have a vested interest in this. It's not just, I mean, that's, that's what I really like about it. Like, I'm not the only one that likes this stuff. I mean, all the members love it too. So it's great. Uh, so many of the images shared on Facebook pages like Vintage St. Catharines invoke sorry, nostalgic memories for members who share their stories in the comments. Do you feel the sharing of material and stories by community members on Vintage St. Catharines is an extension of oral history traditions in the, that it is a medium where members are sharing experiences the way they remember them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not it's not curated in, in a way that um, like a, a, a typical museum might be. Um, there's no board here. It's it's basically like you say. It's almost like folk tales, and the way that um, information is spread through like word of mouth and passed down. Um, I I think that it, it, it's the irony is that the te the modern technology has really brought something back that that might've been, you know, considered like a, a way of sharing information that is only part of the past, you know? So, yeah. So with that, do you think that at some point the information that has been shared on Ventures St. Catherine should be digitally archived for future generations to access? That's an interesting point. Um, <laughs> Like I said, when I when I was formed the group, I, I really wanted a lot of um, like personal artifacts shared. And I find a lot of times what people will do is they'll go to the St. Catharines archives or they'll just do a Google search and they'll post something that they found that's pinched from somewhere else, somewhere else off the internet, which kind of not is not what I was after, but it's really hard to um, to uh, like at this point, like I, I, I kind of let a lot of that go because it gets conversations going. But so in some sense, I think um, the internet as a whole is, it's maybe not one particular group, but just the sort of the pool that is the internet is, is a way of, is, is, a, is its own preservation society. I don't know, it's a very touchy subject because uh, we don't have photographs the way we, like older generations had, you know, books and books of photographs that were printed. We don't have that. And I'm sure, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've also thought about the fact that, I mean, people have a thousand photos of themselves from, you know, from last year on their phone. What's going to happen to all that stuff? Like, it's just going to just dissolve into the ether because no one's going to pay to back that stuff up. Like the average person is not going to build redundancy into their backup system to preserve all their old photos. They may save one here or there, or it, one might get saved because of simulacra. Like it might get emailed here and emailed back. And it's just the way that digital things tend to stick around because of sharing. But yeah, like um, to, to get back to your question, like, I, 
I mean, we have ways of, of snapshotting what happens on the internet. So in that sense, there sort of is a, there is a document, if, you know, if you go to archive.org, you can look back. But even that, there's something transient about it. I mean, the, just by nature of the media being digital and pixels being just, it's not, it's not printed. So you're already, it's, it's, it's in danger of, of, uh, of being lost. And I, I mean, I've, I've thought about the fact that, you know, most of our, our text, just sort of official, just text and history and history is, is, um, is in, there, there's, there's the danger that it will be able to rewrite history because the digital nature of it, it lends itself to just editing, just easy editing or just wiping it out. Like it's not like something printed where it's a bit more tangible and, and permanent. And, it, and it, digital is certainly more anonymous too. So a lot of questions that open up that, that are unique to our time. Absolutely. I think you're really capturing how layered that question is, right? Uh, yeah. Something like Vintage St. Catharines, again, is an opportunity for everyday people to share their memories and to have a platform to share where they might not otherwise have if we just had the traditional tangible histories in a book or histories in a place. Now we have opportunity for our understanding of historical narratives to expand as more voices are heard. Mm -hmm. But how do you capture those voices? And, and like you say, um, make sure that they're credible and, and accurate and reflect the voice at the time. These are, yeah, these are big, big questions. I, I do wanna add, we had a similar issue um, or experience, I guess, in the summer when uh, the Welland House Hotel burnt down. Right. And I'm sure you saw it also on Vintage St. Catharines, the photos that were shared and the stories that were shared on those photos were so valuable and mm -hmm. it, it really reminded us here at the museum um, how quickly history can be erased, tangible history is gone. And all of a sudden I'm in the archives searching through our reference files and records for anything I can get on the Welland House. And we're writing blog posts and, and podcasts and videos just to try and capture the memory while we have mm -hmm. it. But we really struggled to capture the stories that were being sh shared online. People were commenting on our, our blog posts that was like really valuable, vivid experiences. And we, we didn't know how to pull them. Yeah. And we asked like, you know, we asked these people directly like, hey, would you want to conduct an oral history interview with us to, to share these? But that, that wasn't what they were interested in. They just wanted to get it down on Facebook yeah. and scroll scroll yeah. but we were like no 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 we need to take them we need to mm -hmm. put them into our archives <laughs> consolidate them right yeah, yeah. Consolidate. i mean but see this is the thing like i i um i think there's great value in having uh something that's actually curated where it's a museum with a capital m as opposed to you know a facebook group um i i think there's a role for both of them but um but with, with, um, with something that's actually curated by professionals, I don't know if we can really um, downgrade the, 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 um, the value that that has. Um, but I agree, like it, maybe it's because of our attention spans where, you know, you don't want, you, you, you're, you're inclined more to just sort of hit and run and you want, more and more stimulation it's like what do they say with um with addictions it's not just that you want more and more it's that you want different to 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 keep the stimulation going so i think in this case like you said you want to comment and scroll comment and scroll and you just want to keep that wheel turning you know I somehow think that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, you know, there's, there's a, 
a nice sweet spot between that kind of experience and one that's definitely more traditional museum. I, I, I see a role for both. Absolutely. I think that's, again, one of the, the really wonderful things about social media is both can exist now. And yeah. we have a really cool grassroots space like Vintage St. Catharines and the million other Facebook local history groups that exist uh, where they are curated by, by the grassroots community. And I think what's interesting is uh, museums now have a community to tap into and, you yeah. know, that community can like our, the grassroots community can interact with the museum in different ways online too so really interesting ways for us to uh, to work together and collaborate in different ways uh it's there's a lot of opportunity that I'm, I'm really excited to see and and that does lead me to a question i'd love to hear your thoughts on which um is what do you think will be the future of sharing history uh, on social media? What, what, what do you think that might look like? Uh, well, I mean, I, one tends to think in a linear sense and think, well, if the technology improves, then we'll be able to share more multimedia type things. But I think the technology is there. And it's a question of like, well, how, how, how much of it do, how much is, is, are we going to engage ourselves with? Um, somehow I think that it's important to maybe keep a perspective on, uh, like we were saying, like what is kind of old uh, has value because it's old. And it, by that, I mean the methods that we're talking about. So, you know, before the internet, uh, it was a lot of word of, word of mouth for, in terms of regional folk sto stories that we call folk stories, regional things. I, I still think that there's, there's plenty of value in that. And perhaps the, the medium is, is just sort of reminding us that, well, things are the way they are because they're effective. And, you know, maybe we don't need any more technology. Maybe this is just fine to be for, for, for what we're doing, I mean, we're not, we're not building rockets. We're just talking about what we did when we were young, <laughs> you know, and like, perhaps this is all we need. Lots and lots to think about. Thank you. Thank you so much for your insight today, Chris. This was really, really fantastic. Well, it was my pleasure. Heritage-focused social media groups represent the turn towards community-driven history, they do certainly represent a movement towards such kind of history telling. Social media is the internet version of public history, acting in a similar capacity to the historical society, but the community now exists on the World Wide Web versus the in-person meetings and connections. They do, however, focus on micro-aspects of the greater story. With this form of crowdsourced history, there are limitations on the stories that are told. One benefit of this community approach is the relaxed narrative. This invites participation by the community. No expert means low risk for member sharing. History also becomes much more accessible and possibly less intimidating when found online. But does it really belong to everyone? With the focus being on the micro level, these groups might still have the potential to exclude. Social media groups that cover a geographical area in which the demographic has changed could exclude current citizens. For example, if the group shares a lot about childhood memories from St. Catherine's schools and a group member moved here after their schooling was completed, then even though they can join the group, they are still excluded from its subject matter as they lack the personal experience. In this way, community-driven history can still face challenges in inclusivity. 
Traditional heritage institutions like museums are always striving to tell a historical narrative that is, at the same time, informative and engaging, meaningful and thought-provoking, and both personal and broad enough to connect the diverse range of audiences visiting their exhibits and participating in their programming. Can museums and historical sites find a way to harness the knowledge and information being shared by these groups to help tell the stories of all the community from a more personal perspective? Social media has certainly provided a means of accountability for museums and historic sites to remember the personal stories that are connected to the objects held in their collections. Keeping connected to all the various communities through these online spaces provides a much more nuanced look at the official histories and often connects the stories of those who may have been missed in those official histories. Social media is a piece of a very large and complex bigger picture. It is like having a photograph or audio recording with a piece of the story. That piece needs a supporting cast to tell the whole story. In that way, history professionals can take the narratives that are shared on these platforms and use the resources that museums have, like primary resources, archival materials, and artifacts, to fill in the gaps. With the addition of this historical context, we fit these snippets into the larger historical narrative. We include it into the story of St. Catharines, in our case, and in doing so, the shared story of all citizens. At museums, we know from experience that before we share information, it has to be credible. With so much information available, there exists an opportunity for thousands of fact checkers on the internet. Public accountability is a good thing as museums strive to diversify the community stories that we share. In this way, social media heritage exchanges can enhance offerings by museums rather than replace the need for museums in the future. Absolutely. Speaking with Chris, I was reminded of a university professor I had. He told the class that what they were teaching us and what we were getting a degree in wasn't history or English or whatever our major was. Rather, they were teaching us the skills of research, scrutinizing sources, and interpretation. I thought of this because I think given what we have learned about the history-related social media community and what we know about heritage professionals, that there is a need for both groups to push the historical narrative forward. Expert-driven history and community-driven history can coincide. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. Special thanks to Chris Barony of the Vintage St. Catharines Facebook page for joining us. Be sure to check out Vintage St. Catharines and consider what we've discussed today. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Share with us online. Don't miss any of our virtual and online programming. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash St. Museum and with the handle STC Museum on Twitter and Instagram. And you can visit us online at stcatharinesmuseumblog.com. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Well Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines.